0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode number 20 of the Elevate podcast, the podcast that's out to document and elevate the human experience through conscious conversation. I'm your host, Hayden Humphrey, and I'm incredibly excited to be sharing with you my conversation with Caitlin Batsios. Caitlin is the co-founder of Helix Chicago, a coffee shop that focuses on ending the effects of youth unemployment through a three-pronged approach of youth, community, and business development. Prior to founding Helix, Caitlin worked as a middle school teacher, the National Director of Alumni Communities for Teach for America, and the Manager of U.S. Professional Development for WE, an international charity organization. Caitlin loves pop culture, trying any new restaurant, and cuddling with her rescue dog, Lumen. In this episode, Caitlin and I talk about her transition from teaching to entrepreneurship, the impacts of youth unemployment, and how you can get more involved in civic engagement. As always, thanks so much for being here. It means a lot you've decided to spend your time with us, and I'm incredibly excited to share this episode with you. Caitlin, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: I'm so excited that you are here. This has been quite a while in the making.
1: Truly. It's been, it's been months <laughs> <laughs> when we started this.
0: Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, how have things been going for you? What have you been up to?
1: Man, they have been a total whirlwind. I think, uh, it's just, it's been a little crazy, truly. <laughs> it's, mm-hmm. um, you know, I, I run a small business and so, and it's a small cafe business. So we were forced to close our general operations um, Mm. in the midst of COVID-19 and have been just trying to to navigate that. I mean, it is, as a year one business owner, it's not what I expected I would be doing on my like one year anniversary, which we are like almost (laughs) two. (laughs) Um,
0: Yeah, it's like quite the... um, uh, Man, what's the word for it? I don't know if crucible is the right word, but it's like the. <laughs> I, I feel like when you go through this and you make it through this, on the other side, you're like, "I can do anything now." <laughs> I was like, "If you can build a business at this point in time, you can build a business literally anytime."
1: Although I feel like I've had that experience several times in my life, but I keep hitting things. that's like, "Oh wait, no, no, that was that's oh there's something more." <laughs> yeah, <you're> like, <laughs> well, when, when does it just me? Oh, never mind. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. Cool. Well, I shared um, with the folks in the intro a little bit about who you are and what you're up to, but um, I'd love to hear from you directly a little bit more about your story and what you're up to now.
1: Yeah. So I'm Caitlin Batzios, and I'm the co-founder of Helix Chicago. And Helix Chicago's mission uh, and vision is to open small businesses that employ 16 to 24-year-olds and that 16 to 24-year-olds really run the business. So instead of just being a program where people come to work or there's um, a specific trade skill developed, we are really coaching individuals on how to look at finances, how to think about marketing, how to be a critical thinker, how to work on a team, um, and so much more. (laughs) And so We, my co-founder Sean Connolly and I uh, used a lot of our own background knowledge. Um, I was a teacher for a long time and then was coaching teachers on how to best implement civic engagement and service learning in their curriculum to take real-world problems and integrate them in the classroom and uh, had a lot of success with that. But then Realized that there were so many students and youth who are not in classrooms still and that in Illinois There's in like 2017. It was like a 70% youth unemployment rate Wow, and that in Chicago alone. It's it's about I'm I'm confusing now whether it's 25 or 60,000 so between 25 and 60 um, (laughs) are unemployed uh, and out of school and like just not, not doing anything. And so I think, um, Sean and I thought a lot about what were the biggest impacts we could have and where is the intersection of business in education?
0: Mm. -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. Totally. Um, and it's such an interesting, um, I remember that that really stuck with me, the, the fact that you used to be a teacher and, you know, now you're running this business that's specifically um, focused on social enterprise. Like what triggered that transition or what was that transition like for you, you know, going from, you know, working in the education sector to, you know, now being an entrepreneur?
1: So I think when we started earlier, it was like, well, if you're a teacher, you can do anything. Like, I've gotten through (laughs) some of the the worst experiences in school, and I've been like, well, if I could do that, I guess I could do anything. Mm. And um, I think the transition was, you know, being able to see a super optimistic path forward. Mm. Um, That my perception of a risk in this was... Low or not perceived because you know, I saw the the fact that Businesses are craving talent can't find the people they need youth are needing jobs and that neighborhoods need small businesses And so that there was just a really great intersection of the three Mm. Um, Mm -hmm. And so I think in transitioning I was kind of Pretty quick to do it. I was I had been actually doing some work with nationally with Teach for America and was helping them start up alumni boards in areas of the country that didn't have Teach for America. Mm-hmm. And it was, that role was coming to an end. And my business partner, Sean, had been at Loyola and started Loyola's student-run business program. And we took a lot from his experience and he was leaving the university. And we were both kind of trying to figure out what was next. And we had this conversation of what if we just did our own thing? <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, Else and I I we were sitting um we were like in the West Loop at, at the coffee shop in the Ace Hotel and we were like, Yeah, let's just do this. And I was like, All right. <laughs>
2: you know, I, don't think I
1: really ever thought about it much longer than that. Like it was just like, okay. And I was wrapping up a conference I was planning in Austin, Texas. And so I finished that up, and then um, yeah, we just like Started
0: going. Nice. What I was saying, I love the question. Um, I think it's such a magical question. This, like, well, what if we did it? Like, it just opens up so many possibilities and the opportunity to actually go out and do the thing. Um, And, you know, the thing that I just so appreciate and was, and, you know, was struck by when it came to you and your story and the things that you're up to when I met you originally was your energy and your excitement around civic engagement and involving the community and creating a business in an organization that has everyone winning. Um, And so it sounds like it's been a part of your life for uh, a while, this idea of civic engagement and and service. And so I'd I'd just be curious, like, what is it about civic engagement and social enterprise that's so exciting for you?
1: So I think that there's this ongoing notion that you have to be so like I, I, I in this world. And I'm, I've always been, uh, I've always been a little bit opposed to that. And I think Mm -hmm. that have had, have been really privileged to have an educational upbringing that was, uh, really, really full of civic engagement and service learning and, um, full of like helping people and working with people and partnering with people, uh, in ways that are easy. And I think that that's kind of what civic engagement is a lot about (laughs) in many ways. It's, it's sometimes you're just doing the bare minimum, but that it has these longer enduring impacts. And in thinking about Helix, I think that there was a lot of, you know, how do we create something that's a win for everyone? And, um, how are we respecting people? Um, I think in my own personal history, I, like when I was in the fourth grade, fourth or fifth grade, um, my hometown in Omaha, Nebraska had like a huge amount of Sudanese refugees who moved to Omaha. And I think I remember like getting friends together and going to a lion's club and, presenting for them to give us $500 so that we could do like a scholarship fund and I did that when I was like nine or ten it was like okay well that was easy like people are out there who have access to supplies and that it was easy to get done and so Mm -hmm. I think throughout my life I've done a lot of things like that where Mm -hmm. I've had success with them Um, Similarly, my, mo- my mom teaches at a school that's almost all Sudanese refugees as well. And um, when I was in college, they were supposed to, she works in a Catholic school, and they were going to close her school due to a lack of enrollment. But she was the only Catholic school in the city that had a bus, and that that was very unique, and that they had really done a lot of work to build this community of Sudanese families and support. Mm-hmm. And... I talked to her and she was just like really distraught. And I was like, well, we wouldn't close you if they could hear your story. And she was like, well, how would we do that? And at the time in college, I lived with a photographer and a videographer. And we drove to Nebraska eight hours that night and we shot a documentary and then sent it in, and the school stayed open. Right. like, there were so many ways that that wouldn't have happened, but like, it happened. And then, mm. you know, we sent a, a video to the bishop and was like, hey, this is what the school does. If you could actually see this, you wouldn't close it. Yeah. There's a lot of way of like, how do you use your privilege to like, have enduring impacts that are meaningful mm. for people um, in ways that are pretty simple?
0: Yeah, I love that. Um, It's so cool too. Like the thing that I hear in that is being able to tell the story of what was happening, and like being able to enroll people in the vision of like, hey, here's what the school is up to. Here's why it's important. Here's why it's not just another number. And doing that through like the telling of the of the story of what the school was up to and and what your mother was up to.
1: Absolutely, and I think that that's a lot of what people need to care about something it is it's stories and moving beyond this idea of statistics or you know lack of human connection
0: Mm -hmm. um and when you think about the helix the coffee shop that you run now um like what's the story that you share about that organization
1: so with helix it's this idea that people's needs aren't being met and that people's needs are not being met at a very base level. And one of those is just the idea of employment, that employment is a need that everyone will have at some point in time in their lives. And we're, we're not meeting those needs across the board and that we're not preparing individuals and youth, whether they're in school, college, or beyond to find gainful employment. And so with Helix, the goal is that we can meet your needs as a cafe, while meeting the educational and employment needs of youth. And I think about a lot of our employees and their stories of how many jobs they've been let go from, or Mm -hmm. how many jobs they've applied for. And that it's not, I think there's this misconception that like, youth don't have jobs because they don't want jobs. And it's like, Mm -hmm. no, youth don't have jobs because they're not getting hired for them, or Mm -hmm. they're being not set up for success in this like, churned out process of employment Mm. and so i think the story we tell at helix is like you your purchases of coffee there's a lot more behind your coffee person just coffee but we've Mm -hmm. had to have this conversation about you know profit and loss with a youth employee and how to design the menu and uh you know how to interact with a team to make sure that you're not missing an order that there's so much being learned and innovated around beyond just like oh poor coffee oh and and also you had to learn how to like make coffee which not everyone knew like I my business partner and I opened a coffee shop having never worked in coffee either (laughs) of us we had never been baristas like we we ourselves were like that seems like something we could do um and like did barista training for several months before we opened. So we knew how to do it, but it's, it's not as, it's not terribly easy. Mm. So, um, I think I somehow roundabout attempted to address your question. <laughs>
2: yeah, I know. I
0: love it. It's um the, like the thing that I hear in it is there's a, a problem here in Chicago that you're looking to solve and doing it in Uh, a way that's supportive of the people who are there, like the employees, like how do we actually train interpersonal skills? Not just, hey, come get a job, but rather how do we set you up for success in the long term so that when you leave, you're that much more effective, you're that much more employable, you know, you're that much more versatile um, in terms of being able to generate and maintain employment for yourself. Um, (laughs) I'd I'd be curious too, like what had you guys decide on, like what was it about coffee that had you guys decide on opening a coffee shop?
1: So we actually started by thinking of what could the business be. And so we had looked at a couple different bottles. Um, Sean had worked, he opened a pizza shop when he was in college. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he had experience on, in food service. And we both, we both actually enjoyed cafes. So it made sense to have a cafe, but we were, we were looking at, you know, what neighborhoods were we thinking about and what was the possibility um of success and of needs that people had. And so, uh, also, sorry, my dog just walked in my room and opened a door randomly. <laughs> so sorry, I'm closing the door. Okay. Um, I got distracted. I was like, why is this door opening? And my dog just like vaulted in. Um, the, world's of, the world of Zoom and remote. Um, oh, anyway, back to why coffee. But I think it was, um, it was a business need we saw and that it also allowed us to have and create a community within a coffee shop. I mean, Mm -hmm. coffee shops in their essence are a place where people meet and they work and they develop relationships. So most coffee shops, even if they don't have a social impact goal, are doing some community building. Mm -hmm. And so for us, it made a ton of sense to go into business in something that was naturally community building and allowed us to have you know, more robust interpersonal skills and build relationships and, you know, serve a need. Mm,
2: mm-hmm.
0: Totally. Um, yeah, I love, I, is, even before you said that, I was like, yeah, it feels like coffee shops are kind of like community pillars, like just community gathering places in a lot of ways. And so if the idea is, hey, how do we bring the community in on this problem and like supporting, you know, the solving of this problem, yeah, coffee shop makes total sense to do that. Um, with uh you had mentioned earlier that one of the things that you were addressing especially with youths here in Chicago was like youth's not being hired or like being churned out and I was curious like what you meant by that or what the background was on that.
1: Um so I think number one we have such like, systemic inequities that are happening that a lot of jobs that I would have had as a 16-year-old are now occupied by adults because mm-hmm of poverty and especially in urban areas you know the people that are working at a mcdonald's now are typically older like you see Mm -hmm. lots of adults and same with grocery stores and things like that so i think number one there's some inequity in like jobs that existed and who is getting them um i also think that we're not necessarily preparing youth to go into jobs and so when someone has their first job they're not good at it and that's Mm -hmm. And that there's a a lack of patience for that in many ways. Mm. So, and it's it's patience for not, can you you do the job? Like most people can be taught to make coffee, but it it is those interpersonal skills, the professionalism, showing up to work on time, the softer skills that people oftentimes mess up on on their first job. And you don't know until you like lose a job Mm -hmm. um, that it was not something you should do. So I feel like Mm. there's a lot of that happening as well where like, uh, youth are losing jobs rapidly because they weren't prepared to have them and they're not right. being coached in them long-term. Right. Um. And so I think that also a lot of the youth we work with haven't had um that coaching before or after. So after they've lost a job, they're kind of uncertain why they lost it. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> that, like that, that like, there's not a the full circle.
2: <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. It's like, well, I lost my job. Well, those people are dicks. And it's like, well, Mm -hmm. maybe you were doing something wrong there, you know? And so I feel like I've had a lot of those conversations where people like, oh, maybe that is it, you know? And Mm -hmm. I think there are certain things that are just, you know, we had someone who got fired from a job because they're a woman of color and they didn't subscribe to the hair standard, which like Mm -hmm. she was clear on, but she also, you know, Wasn't going to change it. And I was like, all right, well, (laughs) and so I think there's also some things like that happening, you know, Mm -hmm. in jobs that are, I guess, kind of more robotic in terms of expectations and Mm -hmm. standards.
0: Hmm. Yeah, it totally makes sense to the, um, like youths not being prepared to actually have those jobs. It makes me think of the, the first like real job that I had, I was 15 and a half. I actually had to go to the high school to get a permit because I was under 16 and I worked at Jenny's ice cream. This was the fourth store that they that they'd ever opened in uh, Columbus, the hometown where I lived. And, um, for some reason at the time I didn't, I just didn't understand what it meant to have a job and I didn't understand what it meant to put down on my schedule when I was going to have to be there and show up. And so it was about after the third time where they called me and they were like, Hey, you're supposed to be here like two hours ago. And I was like, Oh, that, um, they basically sat me down and basically fired me, but they were basically like, Hey, you know, we're not going to put you on the schedule anymore. But after that instance, like it totally shocked me into, oh, okay, I have to be, I need to be punctual, you know, I need to be on time, I need to like keep track of, uh, you know, when I'm showing up to work. But before that, I just, I just didn't know any better, you know, I was 15 and a half.
1: Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yes, and <laughs> I guess mean, yeah. that there's so much of that.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So actually, supporting, yeah, supporting those uses and understanding how to um, actually function well in a job. Um, so this the the piece I wanted to ask you. One of the questions that I had for you was like in making this transition from working as a teacher to then running your own business. The the thing that I've found to be to be true is you know, entrepreneurship is one of the best personal development and growth experiences that you can have. And so I'd be curious, like what you've learned about yourself, you know, as a, as a person and as a professional in the last two years that you've um, been running and operating the cafe?
1: I think number one, that it's, it's possible to do it. Like, you know, we're, I mean, there's still so many lessons to be learned, but, you know, I've I've learned that I can do it. I, I mean, this is the first time in my life where I was my own boss. And mm-hmm. um, I think I've always been a pretty disciplined person, but when you're the one in charge at the end of the day, there's so much more you have to do to make sure all of the needs are being met of everyone you employ and yourself. Um, and I think in the beginning, it's like, can I do that? I have no idea. And there's this, you have the ongoing imposter syndrome of it, but at the end of the day, it's like, well, I am doing that. I'm totally Mm. doing that. And Mm. it's, it's moderately successful. I'd love to be more (laughs) successful, but it's, it's still, it's still working. Um, and the place hasn't burned down.
0: (laughs) That's that's positive. That's a a good sign. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: Yeah, we had like a
1: moderate taco fire one time, but other than that, we've been all good.
0: If that's the worst that it gets, then uh, yeah. I, think I think you're doing. I think you're doing pretty well. Um, is there is there anything that's um, like surprised you? You know about uh, being an entrepreneur, like anything that you found surprising?
1: Hmm. I think that there is some some like misconceptions though on how easy it is. I think Mm. that there's lots of people who are like, Oh, easiest thing ever. Mm. Um, and so much is misunderstood about, uh, how much you have to control as you are being an entrepreneur and how much work it takes that it's not, you know, while I'm doing it, it wasn't, it's not a walk in the park. It's, you know, Mm. it's very hard. Mm -hmm. Uh, you're not paying yourself, you're like, oh, Jesus, what's, what am I doing? <laughs> <laughs> and, and, um, and that there's always been like, well, oh, that's so fun. It's so cute. And it's like, no, Jesus. <laughs> um, I think also as we started doing this, a lot of people I don't think thought we were serious. Mm. So like, I, it was like a lot of people referred to it as a cute project. And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, because they themselves would never do something like that. Ah. So in people's mind, it's like, oh, that's a project because, you know, I'm still going to have the stability of a job or I'm still going to Mm. have some different structure. Mm -hmm. Um,
0: So interesting how different the dynamic is. I, you know, I found when I left my full-time job, I had a somewhat similar experience. I think there were some, I would say it's like a 50-50 split between between people who were like, oh my God, that sounds so awesome. Like, I wish I could do that. You know, I wish I had the guts to do that. And then the other half that was like, well, how are you going to make money? And like, how are you (laughs) going to, how are you going to, you know, pay rent and do all those things? And um, I think for most people, it's just something that um, they just wouldn't necessarily see themselves doing or um, you know, have the gumption to, to go out and do. And it is a totally different way of interacting with the world. Like there's, <laughs> you know, there's so much um, ambiguity and there's so much unknown, which can be exciting because then you're the one that's putting the structure in place and you're the person that's weaving the story, so to speak. But it also means that at the end of the day, you know, it's all on you to make sure that um, you know, it's working out the way that you want it to.
1: Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the idea of you are your harshest critic only continues and amplifies itself as in entrepreneurship
2: Yeah, <laughs>
1: every day. <laughs> You're like, oh wait.
0: <laughs> with, um, I'd be curious too, like with that piece of it, right. Cause you know, I, I think entrepreneurship, I, at least, you know, in my experience, I've learned so much about myself and I think in a lot of ways have, learn to be a lot more compassionate and kind to myself, but it's like taken, you know, it's taken time. Um, and so, you know, I'd be curious from like a relationship with yourself perspective, like what's shifted for you? Like, how have you seen yourself grow?
2: Hmm.
1: So I think, hmm, I think actually a lot of what I learned, I learned to teach in many Mm -hmm. ways, that Mm -hmm. is carried over through this, Mm -hmm. which is like, you can only try, you can only try your best, and Mm -hmm. so if you're trying your hardest, I think in teaching, it was like, you could try your hardest, and in front of 32 students, they're still not going to learn, even if you are Mm -hmm. trying as hard as you can, when there are other factors beyond your control, you have to learn to be okay, That sometimes things won't work out as planned. And as long as you are trying as hard as you can and trying to learn from it, uh, that's that's the ultimate goal. Um, And I think that's a lot of what I've carried on, you know, in Helix, is there's days where I'm not going to know how to do something and I'm going to have to go learn it, but I can only do as, you know, I can only... Try my hardest, and that sometimes that's not enough for what I need to do, and other times it is. And mm-hmm. that every day mm-hmm. I'm learning something new that I'm going to be able to leverage even stronger. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I've also just highlighted I I'm like very good at building relationships with others and like trying to build community and like typically with folks who may or may not have had community before, and that that is a, a strength that I feel like I have, and that that's been amplified. Particularly with just like customers and youth and being able to create a space where people feel welcome.
0: Mm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that. It's um the on the community piece and the container piece. I would totally agree with you, uh, and I think that um I, it's also a, a skill and a desire that I share. Like, how do I create more spaces and create? Um, you know, opportunities for people to to come together and connect, um, you know, whether that's through, like I've been doing events here in Chicago or like even this podcast or whatever it might be, like that idea of community, like infusing the work that I'm doing with community and having people um, who are all on the same page and, you know, wanting to drive towards whatever the end goal is, I think is incredibly important. Um, and for you, like in looking at Helix and looking at the work that you're up to, Um, well, first I'd be curious, like how do you, do you have a process for how you go about setting a vision for yourself, like creating, you know, goals and milestones. And then also if you could share, you know, at a higher level, like what you, like what your vision is for the organization and the work that you're doing here
2: in Chicago.
1: Yeah. Um, so it it is really beneficial that I have a, a business partner in all of this and we do a lot of Strategic planning. I think at the beginning, we did a lot of vision setting and making sure that we were really, really strong in our foundation, our vision of what we were trying to achieve, which was just as much as possible working to eradicate youth unemployment Mm -hmm. and creating more opportunities for businesses of impact that like businesses could be change agents in positive ways in social um, issues. And so I think whenever we are doing quarterly or weekly or uh, anytime we're making new goals it's ensuring that we are some in some way attached to that and asking a lot of like to what end are we working towards ending youth unemployment by x Mm. and how does that achieve the goal and I think Mm -hmm. there's been times where we have hit the mark on that and there's other times where you've kind of let that go because of the operations of the business. Um, I think particularly like our events, there was a while where it was like, okay, we need customers. We need to do a bunch of events. How are we connecting all of this? And so I think at one point in time, we had a bunch of events that weren't really working towards this or the people we were getting in, we were connecting with, but it wasn't super meaningful.
2: Mm
1: -hmm. And so I think in particular, we've had a lot of success with developing anti-racist programming in our community, mm-hmm. which we think is attached to youth employment and that particularly youth who are from marginalized backgrounds and, you know, might be people of color, that there are lots of then other issues with youth unemployment. And so, you know, if our event, it's like, okay, well we're talking, we're reading how to be an anti-racist and we're talking about it. And then we're relating it at some point to youth unemployment. And then that's building our broader coalition.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um That is helpful to, you know, keep in mind. Um, I think personally, it's a lot of, like, thinking just, like, am I doing good? Is this a good use of my time? And, like, how is this helping others achieve in some way? Um, Or how is this helping others grow in some way? Um. Mm. And I think about that a lot in developing, like our programming, and you know, what are the skills we're teaching? Um, like right now, our high schoolers are working on a coronavirus project via Zoom and developing, you know, recommendations for businesses. And I had to think about, you know, how are we giving them, you know, not busy work to be doing while the play, while Helix is closed, and how can they be learning from this in some way that is beneficial?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and then we have a t- we have I have some friends at the mayor's office who are going to come and like to them and like ask questions and you know uh increase learning beyond just like oh high schoolers are going to do this and they're going to show it to me but then how are they actually giving it to someone who cares so that yeah. it's meaningful
0: yeah nice it's the uh it's like I think the thing that I hear in that is having some sort of North Star or like grounding reason for being in existence and like being in business, which I would imagine in some ways makes it more complex, you know, given that it's a, you know, social impact organization and like the the goals that you're looking to achieve and the impact that you're looking to have is more than just, hey, let's be in business to, to make money. Uh, yeah. and then in some ways it would be kind of nice to say, you know, Hey, here's this filter of us being of service to the community and, and trying to eradicate youth unemployment. Like, does this fit or not? And being able to decide one way or the other in that sense, like having that sort of like filter or North star.
1: Yes. 110%. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. And
0: and and, uh, it's mm, go ahead. Sorry.
1: That, that idea that you're just grounding in that constantly. Um, and that it's something you are always looking towards.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, and so, I'd be curious for you too, like uh, the the vision that you have for Helix Cafe um, and for you know your own life as an entrepreneur. Like, is this going to be the you know the thing to continue to grow and expand? Are there other like ventures or other things that you're looking at getting involved in?
1: Yeah, I think we we live in this world where we would love like a helix in every neighborhood and that it's not necessarily a cafe in every neighborhood, that mm-hmm. there is some sort of business that's providing a service that's employing youth. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that is our, our initial thought was, okay, we're, we're approximately seven miles North of the loop. We would want to be seven miles South. We'd want something on the West side. And then and each of those businesses, there they would then like incubate the next business in their neighborhood as well. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think that's something, it's been interesting because we, we do take a lot of like hits in labor, like the whole idea is that we're hiring folks who need more training and more one-on-one support. And, um, I think we're, we're kind of in the process of adjusting and developing, um, a nonprofit arm as well that we could potentially Mm -hmm. do some more fundraising for, you know businesses or programs with uh, that could potentially extend our impact. I think nice. we've also thought about, you know, how are we how could we be developing other businesses to employ youth and like mm. how how is that a selling point like if we were able to have people go through a training or do things for HR where it was a limited a more limited scope than you're constantly having that youth run a business but I'm a manager who who's gone through training where I know how to employ youth. I would have some baseline understanding of how to support youth, um, and how would that be a like a win for my neighborhood, my community, and my business?
0: Nice, I love that. It's like it's almost like an incubator to incubate incubators.
1: Yes, <laughs> like totally, like,
0: <laughs> Creating win wins across the board.
1: Yes, and just like how can you be scalable in the most efficient way possible?
0: mm Hmm. Totally. Um, One thing that you had shared with me before we started recording was um, around the treatment and perception of service industry workers, which is interesting because it also sounds like, um, you know, maybe not so much anymore, but historically that was a place where youths could go and, you know, get employment was in the service industry. So um, I'd be curious, you know, in your Perspective as someone who's been involved in civic engagement and is now, you know, running an organization that specifically employs youths in the service industry. Um, if you could speak to, you know, your thoughts on that or how you see that playing out right now,
1: I just think, particularly even with Helix, that um, I do a really good job of interacting with customers and building relationships. And then if I'm not there, customers are jerks to kids. Mm-hmm. And, like, my kids, the kids tell, like, not that they're kids, like, the, the youth employees tell me that. And I've seen it. And mm-hmm. um, that there's a difference between, like, the owner talking to you and someone who's making you a drink. That there's, mm-hmm. that people aren't on a, a level playing field. And then I think I've just experienced it. Uh, I've catered for uh, several meetings downtown. and I've also catered for meetings downtown that I've been attending as a participant. Mm. And I was bringing a meal one time and I was just treated horribly everywhere I went. And I was like, and it was because I was the caterer, not like a participant in the meeting. Wow. And it was like very real to me. And I think it's something I have been really privileged to not experience a lot of in my life. And then just realizing how that happens and then is amplified by being like, someone who is younger or being someone who is from a population that is experiencing marginalization um and how constant that has to be like i've had very limited experiences with it and it is you know, it's very very apparent and that yeah. then it's extremely apparent if you were you know one of our employees who is a person of color and younger and that that would just be your constant is that like feeling not respected
0: Mm, Totally. And um, like, where do you think that comes from?
1: I I think, I feel like there's so many places and different reasons it derives, but just this idea that someone is serving you and that therefore you are better than that. Like, I think there's just like constant entitlement from people, Mm -hmm. Uh, Mm -hmm. particularly with like careers or professions where you're seen as providing a service to someone else
2: Mm -hmm. and that
1: because you're providing this service and, you know, it's a quote unquote, lower level service that, you know, everyone can be a jerk to you and that that's what's expected. That Mm -hmm. like, it's expected that if you have a job in the service industry, you're going to be treated terribly by customers. Like that, that's just kind of the baseline. It's like, well, that's ridiculous.
0: Yeah. It's like, I'm paying you. So therefore, (laughs) yeah, you know,
2: yes, Mm -hmm.
1: absolutely.
2: Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, interesting. And the,
1: you know, and I'm sure I've done it too. It's, you know, I'm having, I, I'm out to eat and I, the server wasn't as friendly as I wanted or something, but, um, <laughs> and then I end up complaining about it to someone or tipping mm-hmm. glass or something. I don't know, mm-hmm. but that there's just this idea that whatever your individual standard is, everyone must be meeting it. Yeah. Which is kind of ridiculous.
0: Yeah. <laughs> so well, sounds like, like it's like the opportunity is to like really intentionally practice connecting with people and like realizing that people are people. And it really hit me. My sister works at Aldi's um, uh, and, you know, she was telling me even the other day about how many people will go through her line during the day and like won't make eye contact, won't say hello, like won't even really acknowledge that she's there, like, you know, performing a service. And granted, you know, she's not even getting directly paid for it. Um, but um, yeah, it's just kind of interesting to think about, you know, how many people, even like bus drivers and stuff that I, you know, like going throughout my day, people that I don't necessarily like um, fully see and acknowledge.
1: Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it is happening constantly that, you know, as much, the more we can be made aware of it, the more likely we are to connect and be human to one another in a way that's positive.
0: Mm-hmm. Totally. Totally. Um, the, this question was coming up for me. I was thinking about, you know, I've, I've been very lucky in this podcast to be able to connect with some folks um, here in the Chicago area who are involved in organizations like Conscious Capitalism um, and a couple other folks who have, you know, started companies or, or written books about, um, I don't know how I would describe it, more not spiritual concepts necessarily, but it's almost like shifting the paradigm of business like away from, hey, we just need to be in business to make money, but rather, you know, there's an opportunity to, have a larger impact and, um, create more social good in the businesses that we run. Um, and so, you know, I'd be curious for you, you know, as the owner and purveyor of this organization that's, you know, in that space, like it's not just about making money and running a cafe, like it's about impacting the community and, you know, helping youths develop and, you know, supporting, um, uh, you know, alleviating unemployment, those sorts of things. Like, do you run into, people that maybe don't necessarily understand, or is there like a lot of explaining that needs to go on? I would just be curious about like being someone who's in that type of industry and organization, um, like how other people relate to that or how other people see that.
1: I've been blown away away by the people who I thought would be immediately on board and aren't. Like I (laughs) I work because of my background. We do a lot of work in like education spaces and a lot of education spaces has not been like totally on board or they don't get it when I'm like, wow. no, no, like we're not. And I think the misconception was like, oh, you're, you're a space that has youth programming. Like, oh, you, you do activities that engage youth. And it's like, no, no, like the whole thing is a youth <laughs> program.
2: Yeah,
1: And and that has been, uh, that's happened a lot. And like, we met with a principal one time who was like, w- w- and we're located across the street from a Dunkin' Donuts. And we got a bunch of grief for being close to a Dunkin' Donuts. And they're like, well, why would you do that? And it was like, I- we're not even talking about that. Like, I don't. <laughs> and that, like, in the education spaces, um, we haven't totally fit, which has been interesting because I kind of thought we would. Um mm. And I think that there's also a lot of misconceptions on like, oh, you have to be a nonprofit to do good.
2: Mm.
1: And I think that that's an interesting thing. Right. Um, and people, people's assumptions being made that like, oh yeah, you're a nonprofit. It's like, actually I'm not right now. I'm in the process of figuring that out because, you know, we actually would have access to some grants and things like that. But mm-hmm. um Mm-hmm. That that's the the default response for like, oh, you want to do good, you have to be a nonprofit.
0: <laughs> yeah. It's like according to who. <laughs> well,
1: that's true. And that's been well, really, really interesting. Or like just assumptions being made.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um Yeah. I think I think there's also just people who don't understand the idea that you would you would prioritize like a social good outcome
2: like i think that mm. some
1: people are like but why <laughs> Like, like i
2: didn't realize
1: that that was controversial I, yeah. <laughs> but i think i've run into that where it's like mm-hmm. yeah so that's i think there's i'm routinely surprised at people's reaction or response or mm-hmm. um like grace they give like we, i think we've just had you know people who come in who know we're a youth program, but then also are, are jerks. It's like, this is, this is so bizarre to me.
0: Yeah. It's, um, I, I just also think that's so important. And I just want to acknowledge, you know, you in the, in the work that you're doing there. Like I, I I feel very passionate about that. Like how do we shift the paradigm so that it's not weird (laughs) <laughs> so that just does, doesn't land as like a, why would you be doing that? It's like, oh, of course you'd be doing that because it matters and because it's important and because you care about it because it's helping yeah. the community. Yeah. So that's uh, that's super great. Um, so I'd be curious, like for, for the folks who are listening who maybe don't know a ton about, you know, social impact, social enterprises, um, maybe want to learn more about it or like would want to learn how to get involved. And this is kind of a big question, but I'd be curious if you would have anywhere for them to start or like any advice on how to like even start that journey towards learning more about those types of organizations and causes.
1: Um, I feel like there's so many great spaces you can go, but, um, I like book recommendations, like winners take all is incredible about rethinking, um, how we're doing good and what does social impact mean and who is getting the impacts. Um, I also think, um, there, like, there are a lot of like social innovation groups and organizations, um, Impact uh, Impact Engine in Chicago is really interesting. They're they're fabulous, but they're mostly focused on tech um, innovations. Mm-hmm. Um, you can always come to Helix or chat with me. <laughs> um,
0: hey, Caitlin, up? <laughs>
1: yeah, uh, I'm trying to think of other things that have been like really core to my understanding of this. Um, Harvard Business Review has a bunch of really great articles on like putting purpose at the core of your strategy Mm
2: -hmm.
1: and I think that that's like a lot of what social impact and social enterprise is is putting purpose beyond yourself at the core of what you're doing and like what is the social impact and realizing that inevitably will likely have a positive economic uh like solution attached to it and like Mm -hmm. that you know if we're if we're providing employment to youth at an earlier age, their wages are going to be higher. They might be less reliant on certain public assistance. There also is a chance if they were like, that if you have a job, you're less likely to be incarcerated. There's like so many like social outcomes that are positive nice. and that you can look at from the financial side.
0: That's awesome. It's like focusing on the why.
1: Yes, Totally.
0: That's awesome. Amazing. Well, Caitlin, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you so much for being on. Uh, Where can folks find you online?
1: So helixchicago.com is a good place to start. Um, Helix Cafe on Instagram and Facebook. Those are ah, some so some nice. good spots for that.
0: Amazing. I'll throw those all in the uh, episode description as well so people can find you. Uh, and then second is what is a piece of uh, wisdom that you'd leave us all with um, to help us elevate ourselves, the communities, our communities, and the world?
1: I feel like being nice to people in the service industry. I'm going to stick with that yes. one. Oh um, and like just having human connection with everyone you're encountering, I think. I've had some conversations recently, particularly with a friend in the the UK in this time of COVID-19 of how are you still saying hi to people? You're socially distanced, but like, if you're in a mask, how are you waving? Or like, how are you still maintaining human interaction in a way that is positive? And so I think that that is really powerful, especially in times that are stressful or your social distancing that that can be so critical and that even when or not you should just be like nice to people like (laughs) and respect people like this whole like golden rule like treat others the way you want to be treated you know is somehow lost so often so I think that's that's my my wisdom for today (laughs) yes
0: I love that piece of wisdom I wrote down be nice and tip well
1: There you go. Everyone listening, be nice and tip well.
0: (laughs) Which shouldn't
1: be revolutionary, but somehow it is.
0: (laughs) I love it. Well, cool. The way way that I like to close out these shows is with acknowledgments. So Caitlin, are you open to me acknowledging you?
1: Yes, absolutely.
0: Okay, cool. Yeah, Caitlin, I've been really looking forward to this conversation. Um, You know, I shared this a bit earlier, but I just felt immediately connected to you and what you're up to, like the first time that I heard you speak. And I think so much of it comes from this seemingly endless supply of joy and energy and positivity and levity that you bring into the space. Like it's infectious. Um, and uh, so thanks for like being that out in the world and thanks for like putting that behind a cause that you care about and that is really important to the community um, I also just really want to acknowledge you for your commitment to service like even in what we just said right like putting purpose at the core of strategy um, I see that that's exactly what you're doing with helix like looking at hey here's this larger problem that I want to solve um, for people <laughs> you know for humanity for this group of people that might not have you know the same opportunities or or might be, you know, systematically um, discouraged and being able to use your voice and use your privilege and use your resources and smarts to be able to go in and serve them, I think is uh, incredible. Um, Thanks for your vision and your focus. Like I get that you're super clear on um, what it is that you're trying to accomplish and what to say no to in order to like go out and create that thing. Um, And thanks for just being such an incredible connector and community builder. Like it's, it's really cool to hear about, I think, especially now with so much of everything being online, like how much you care about and are focused on the local community here in chicago and you know even the community around where helix exists like yeah we don't you know we opened up next to the Dunkin' donuts but we what we're looking at is how we uh connect with the community to come in and support you know this cause that that we really care about and that we really want to help solve um so thanks for your energy thanks for your joy um and your positivity and thanks so much for being on the show
1: Thank you. I appreciate that. In times of craziness, it's always helpful to feel acknowledged. Thank you.
0: You're so welcome. Thanks so much for tuning in. If you enjoyed this show and want to stay up to date on new episodes or other special offers, I'd invite you to subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. And if there's ever anything I can do to support you, please don't hesitate to reach out
2: and let me know. See you next time.